If you're new to youth ministry and love our free resources like our articles and podcasts, it may be time to try out our gospel-centered inductive Bible study curriculum for teenagers. If you don't know how to start, tired of creating your own curriculum, or you're just curious about what other youth ministers are finding helpful, we have developed a whole community and platform of resources just for you. Rooted Reservoir has all you need to lead your students through inductive Bible study with over 24 books of the Bible already available and more added each year. Our newest curriculum plans are a 31-week study on Luke and Acts and a 26-lesson study on First and Second Kings. Try it for free and join the several thousands of youth pastors who have downloaded our free Philippians curriculum, or go ahead and sign up for your yearly membership to access a full year of curriculum, four different youth ministry training courses, and over 200 teaching illustrations to help you as you plan each week. Visit RootedMinistry.com and head to the curriculum page for more information. RootedMinistry.com you don't have to just be in pocket and be like, I guess I'm not a praying guy. I'll stand in the back. No, 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 no. We're growing Christians. Everybody starts somewhere. <laughs> Nobody starts perfect. Nobody gets perfect. So just start. We're growing people. Christians are growing people. There is reason to believe that in heaven, we will just grow forever because God is infinite and we're not. And so there's always more of him to have. Show your children that's what it's like to be a Christian. Welcome to the Rooted Conference Podcast. This podcast features main talks and workshops from Rooted's annual conferences. Find more information about our annual conference at rootedministry.com. This talk was recorded at the Rooted 2022 conference in Kansas City. Let me start by commending all of the recordings uh, of this conference. Uh, I have actually, actually spent last night adjusting Uh, my entire presentation because so much good truth had already been uh, brought to uh, brought to this conference. So all of the plenary speakers uh, and my personal experience, uh, Katie Polsky's talks and uh, Barnabas Piper's talks, uh, they were just so rich in goodness and truth. uh, And I'm really picking up, trying to pick up from where I left, where they have left off. Uh, So, not this talk, all the ones before it, and then maybe conclude with this one. Uh, in, in light of that, I wanted to bring, um, bring scriptures to bear that I have not heard here yet. Uh, and the beauty of scripture and the singular story is that it's like a, a multifaceted jewel. You can, you can see truth from all different sides. It's the same truth, but there's uh, just layer after layer after layer of beauty. Uh, and so... Three singular verses and a longer section are, are how I would like to look at what kind of hope can we bring to parents of children who are resisting the faith. Uh, we will start at the beginning, Genesis 1.1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 56, verse 8, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in our longer section, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. 
For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I do want an overarching hope, an overarching foundational principle uh, to give immediate relief to parents who are in the midst of the sorrow of a child who is resisting the faith. Uh, And that does involve some to-dos and some bees, but I want to emphasize what Rooted is so good at emphasizing, that all of the do and all of the be is only after and in light of and through the work of Christ. It is not to be a burden. Uh, It is to be a joy to grow out of who we are in Christ. And the order matters, right? I am your God, and this is what my people are like. He's our God graciously first before he calls us to be who he's already made us. Uh, And so so when we are doing and being, uh, when I talk about doing and being, uh, I want us to remember, we have to actively remember Romans 8, that it's, it's as... Uh, children and not slaves. Yes, we're slaves to Christ, but in the spirit of children. Uh, we will not be put out for our failures. We are the family forever. It is simply us being the family that we are seeking to do. Uh, and, and it's important to know, I think there is being and doing in Christianity, the peace and the light burden comes when we realize we are not the efficacious power. We are doing and being, but we are not saving our children. We are not saving ourselves. Uh, It is Christ doing it all. We're not the drive engine. And that's when doing and being becomes a light burden instead of a crushing, unbearable weight. Uh, A book I would recommend, um, Worship, would be a huge portion of what I have to say today to parents of unbelieving children. Uh, A short book um, by Jason Halopoulos called A Neglected Grace about family worship. If we're going to be discipling our children, worship and disciple can never be untangled. Uh, we, we fill up with worship of who God is, and we disciple out of that love, which leads us back to worship. Uh, and he says this in the introduction, we all know that sense of struggle and at times failure in leading our homes in worship. At the outset, I want to make it clear that this book is not intended to heap guilt upon the shoulders of husbands, mothers, or parents who have struggled to lead their homes and family worship. My great challenge in writing this book was to do so in a way that would show the benefits of family worship, how important and beneficial it is for the Christian family, and yet would do so in a way that would not lead struggling husbands, fathers, and mothers to be weighed down by guilt. If this book increases guilt in the reader, then my prayer is that it quickly goes out of print. Instead, I hope that this book will be an encouragement to the reader to have a true resolve to engage in family worship, but only by and through and because of the grace of God. And that is the prayer I would have 
for what I want to tell you today, uh, that it would be a light, encouraging um, hope and not a crushing burden. Uh, Father, would you give us that grace today? Would you let us hear your words and your truth and uh, let it penetrate our hearts, uh, lift us up and encourage us and strengthen us in uh, in what may be the most painful thing in this world uh, to see our children not having you. Uh, we pray for that grace today in your son's name. Amen. I want to look at this in three uh, particular ways, uh, in, in a picture of tending soil, in a picture of planting seeds, and then ultimately in just letting God be God. What do we do when our children resist the faith? Uh, we need to tend the soils of our own hearts. We need to plant seeds of truth into our children, and we need to submit to our creatureliness that God is God and we are not, and that's a good thing. Um, our greatest impact that we can have on our children is our right relationship with Christ. That is what we are called to do. Uh, and in order to do that, we first have to have hope. We are not the Savior. It is our joy in our Savior and our trust in our Savior lived out before our children uh, that, that can bring them to the Lord. That is the God's desired uh, instrument to use. The family is God's primary instrument to use to grow children in their faith. Now, we don't do this alone, and I want to I come back to that at the end, but first, let us rightly love our Savior and let that happen in front of our children, and that is the greatest witness and discipleship we can give them. And this is such a difficult topic. The loss of a child is the hardest thing in this life. A parent who outlives a child is the most painful thing there is. And when we talk the scope of eternity, a child rejecting the faith, we're looking at an eternal loss of a soul. And it's, it's painful when we're living in that day to day. And that could be crushing. And so when we come to our Savior, we need to, we need to be asking for mercy like the publican. Lord, just have mercy on me, a poor sinner. We need that posture. We need to ask for faith like the one struggling to believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Uh, We need to ask for favor like the thief on the cross. Lord, remember me. When when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And uh, looking to that cross is going to be our ultimate hope. We need to, when we walk with children and we have no idea how long this season could be, and that's hard. We need to continually remember that God is good and kind. If we lose sight of that, uh, we will fall into despair, and we will not we will not be able to come alongside our children as well as we could. And we need to remember, like a Romans five six through eleven, like w- when we were sinners, when we were the enemies of God, He died for us. That's what kind of God we are calling out to, we are hoping and trusting in. We can never think of him in any other way, and we are tempted to think of him in a lot of ways. God is good. When we, we can, because we love our children so much, fall into uh, such worry or fear that is actually going to manifest in either pride or outright fear, and that's going to turn into either unrighteous anger or... Uh, I don't, I don't know what adjective, a nagging, just a fearful nagging. 
uh, and it stops being about our child and it stops being about a Christ and it starts being about our fear and lack of trust. And so tending our own heart soil to be trusting in the Lord is, is step one. Uh, we serve a God who, before he made us, agreed to die for us, to save us. He's good. You will not find, he is the source of love. You will not find a, there is, there's got to be a first source. He's the first source of love. And the first source of love told us that the greatest form of love is to die for another. That's how good he is. Then he told us that's how he loves us. The source of love defined the greatest love as dying for another. And then he died for us. He has told us and shown us that he has nothing but the greatest love for us. He is good. He's not our enemy. Um, if we operate out of pride or fear, if we change God into a false version other than what he's shown us, um, we will eventually, that's going to, we're going to be either unrighteously angry at our children, or we're going to be um, fearfully nagging our children. And that's not super helpful, but also ultimately what that leads to is us hating God because he's not good and he's not trustworthy. And we did all these steps and he didn't honor us. And that, uh, then we stop, we stop partaking in discipleship with our children and we start partaking in their rebellion. And we need to be the, the light. We need to be the ones who know and demonstrate God's goodness and, and reflect that. Uh, we need, I say this another way, we need to kill Santa God. Um, you better watch out. You better not pout. He's watching you and you won't get presents if you mess up. Now, I love St. Nicholas. Like, uh, I mean, probably unhealthily a little bit. If you're going to punch heretics, that's awesome. Like you help orphans, you punch heretics. Uh, the real St. Nicholas is amazing. The uh, Santa Claus, though, is actually a picture of what sometimes we pretend God is. I did all the right things. Where's my present? But I better watch out or he's going to get me. That's what's going on here. That's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture goes to the cross to save. Uh, if we don't tend the soil of our hearts, we witness to a false God. And then we despair and become hopeless. We need to see God as he revealed himself. The God who is mighty to save, the God who tells us he saves like the stars and then gives us a creation that no matter how technologically advanced we get, all we find is more stars. He says, that's what my salvation is like. That's what my family is like. That mighty God to save is the one we are hoping and trusting in. When we've tended our soil of our heart into hope, then we plant seeds. Planting the seeds operates on the exact same three basic principles that tending the soil of our hearts operate on. If I could only tell a Christian one thing to pursue as they are being a child of God who will not be put out of the house, but if they believe and trust that God is good and wants to walk with him, I would say these three things, prayer, the word, the fellowship of believers, you'll never get beyond it. It's so kind of God to give us such a simple, clear path. It's not, as my, one of my mentors says, it is simple. It is not simplistic. It is not easy. It cannot be done in your own power. If it weren't for the Spirit of God, it wouldn't be much. But it is God's chosen instrument of growth and discipleship. It is God's chosen instrument of encouragement and functioning as a Christian in this word. Through His Spirit, His Word, prayer, and the fellowship of other believers are our fundamental lifelines. If we depart from those, it is problematic. Now, repeating 
Fundamentals is tough. If you've coached anything, repeating fundamentals is painful for the coach and the, the coached. Okay. But it's all there is. If the fundamentals are off, it's off. Don't abandon God's ways for the spirit of the age or for um, somehow believing that the fundamentals might not be getting the job done because it's not in your time frame or your vision. When I was in the military, the good idea fairy is not your friend. The good idea fairy is terrible. Often leadership is susceptible to the good idea fairy. Like there's a particular way that works, that's tried and true, that we have trained in and that, that is just, it's the way, it's just the way. And then a leader walks along and says... I got an idea, like right before something's supposed to go off. I got an idea. Let's try this new thing. And it's always a disaster. And, uh, and then all the kind of sergeants have to go around like ungood idea ferrying and like, let's get back to the way because only the way is going to get us out of this. Um, the spirit of the age is the, not to be tried, is the good idea fairy of Christianity. Um, the, the, tr- the prayer, the word, and the fellowship of believers just isn't, isn't enough. I need a program. I need a checklist. I need a diet plan from the Old Testament. I need a, like whatever it is, the old paths are the good paths. God is kind to give us clear, simple fundamentals. His word, his prayer, his people, all empowered by his spirit is the way of the, of the Christian. Um, but there is a right way to use fundamentals. And here's where, here's where parents actually get the adjustment and the, the hard work of applying fundamentals. And God is with us in that. I have a, um, I have a love of combat sports and my current uh, love is jujitsu. And I, I do it. My kids do it. And it's complex and entertaining and hard and love all this about it. And I coach my kids in it. It's kind of my first coaching experience with my kids and um only the fun like there's the mats don't lie you could put whatever color belt you want on you step on that mat and it's real like we're gonna all there is is the fundamentals done correctly uh like in this sport after like level two there aren't even any new moves to learn it's actually just three levels of doing the moves better and so you find yourself saying a lot of the same stuff and, and they're in tough spots like they're getting kind of ground into the mat because they made a mistake and you're like Underhook, left hip, left elbow, right leg, hook the leg, wrestle up. And they do it, and then they get thrown back down. It's like, okay, well, no, we do it again. We underhook, we left elbow, we left hip, right leg. We, there's nothing new to say. Nothing else is going to work. I'm just going to keep telling you the same thing. And if they're stuck in that position, left elbow, left elbow, left elbow, there's just nothing else to say. Like I'm, I'm going to keep saying it until it's done because there's nothing else. And my children have taken to, and, and there is, I have some fault in this, but they, they, one of them, he started talking back to me. He, he, he stopped, he stopped looking at his opponent who is, who is grinding him into a mat and he started looking at me. I'm trying. And I was like, bro, why are you talking to me? I'm not fighting you. But I, I hadn't developed the relationship in a way. It it did sound like I was his enemy. It did sound like I was fighting him. And what I had to do, I had to tend the soil of my heart. I had to look to the fruit of the spirit. I had to listen. I had to know my child or know your flock. You have to know them. And I had to do the work of coaching in a way that they could hear. There is nothing else but the fundamentals. My instruction does not change. There is no other instruction. But... But my relationship 
with them has to change. I had to sit him down and he's fortunately, he was my direct one. So I could say, son, I know you're working hard. I know that's a painful spot. I make that mistake. I've been in that spot. That's the only reason why I can coach you. I'm not shaming you for not doing the right thing. I am cheering you on and encouraging you because I know that spot's hard and I know there's no other way out. And I'm here with you, guiding you until you work your way out of it. And then I'm congratulating you. And I'm lamenting with you if you get put back in it, but I'm not going to leave your side. I'm going to keep coaching you through it because I just, I just want you to keep going and I want to help you keep going. Uh, I need to be, we need to be beacons and lights when we're bringing these fundamentals. It's not just here are the fundamentals, do them. They are the fundamentals. They do work. But there's a relationship element in bringing the fundamentals to our children that we have to know our kids. I can't coach my six-year-old daughter, who is might be the best one at jiu-jitsu, but I can't coach her the same way I coach my son. They're different. And I need to know that or, or I'm not. All I want to do is help them. So I have to bring them what helps in a way that they can receive it. I don't alter what helps. I bring it in a way that they can receive it. And that's how we bring the fundamentals of the gospel to our children. We know them. We sit with them. We listen to them. And we bring them the only thing that's going to help them in a way they can actually hear it. In a way that says, I am with you and for you. Let's do this together. The good news is you're not going to win every jujitsu match. Uh, You might try the fundamentals to the end and still get crushed. That's not the fundamentals of the gospel. Christ has guaranteed us victory. He is guaranteed to be with us to the end. He's guaranteed to be with you as a parent. And that child is his. That is his creation, his soul. And he has a relationship with that child. There's a peace in Christianity as we bring the fundamental through trial after trial, through error after error, fundamental after fundamental, prayer, the word, and the fellowship of believers. There's a peace and a hope in that, like, this this one works not because of our effort. This one works because of who God is and how he said his world works. They And our kids, they don't just need to hear them. They need to experience these fundamentals lived out by those who go before them. Uh, they need to see and hear prayer. They need to see and hear the word affecting us. And they need to, we are a fellowship of their, we are the first fellowship of believers. Uh, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord willing, before there are children. And they need to experience a fellowship with an older believer uh, from their parents and then from their parents' engagement with the larger community of believers. That is how we need to bring these fundamentals to our kids. We need to do it openly. Um, and, and we need, I would say maybe one, if I, if there's just like just one piece of advice, probably be just prayer, the word and fellowship believers, like unpack that with your people. Like there is nothing else. Unpack that. If there were one other thing I would say, it would be, um, we need to decompartmentalize the Christian life. Uh, our culture and our human heart are so good at putting boxes around different lives that we live. And the Christian life needs to be decompartmentalized. It needs to be the whole life and our kids need to see it. They need to see us more than the Christian on Sunday, the Christian on Wednesday, or the Christian in the Christian conversation. They need to see that we are Christ and we love him and we walk with him every day through everything. Uh, 
all the words that our society is looking for and that any society was looking for, but use different words for transparency, authenticity, purpose, identity. They need to see that Christ is the truth of all of those. And they need to see it in our daily life. That witness is, I believe, even statistically proven to be the greatest discipleship factor in a child's life, that their parents were authentic, transparent Christians 24-7. It doesn't mean they weren't sinners because Christians are sinners. It means they were Christian sinners, that they repented, that they apologized, that they were honest, that they, they even shared with their families the way they were rebuked by Scripture or fellow believers and brought closer to Christ. They just were Christians always. No hypocrisy and repentance when there is and living it publicly. I had this thing. Um, I was doing my quiet times at work. It was just easier. I just got to work before other people and I just laid my stuff out on my desk and I put classical music on. And I had my quiet times and I loved it. And I, sometimes I text my wife like, hey, this is what I had today. But my kids never saw it. And they started asking questions about reading the Bible. It didn't make as much sense to them. I still don't do as many quiet times at home, but I did. This worked for me, but whatever this principle is for you. I was like, right then and there, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I like to annotate, and I started annotating study Bibles. All the scriptures, all the study notes. It takes me it takes me two years to do a one-year reading plan anyways, and now it takes me like two and a half years. Um, but what it is, is I said, son, I love God. His word is his truth. I want you to have it. Here is what... Here is one of my journeys through scripture. I was thinking about you when I went through this. I was praying about you when I went through this. Before you leave my house, will you give me one of yours to me that you have annotated, that you have thought about? I just I just showed them uh, what God's word was to me and how it functioned in my life. And you may do that a different way. That's how I did it. And uh, I was blessed to have like great growth in these conversations with young children about what the word of God is. And it has blossomed as they've gotten older into, into larger conversations because, because we started that conversation. Uh, This is a moment to address. Like, I think we live in an age where like either it's clipped onto a Instagram site or we have a book of a devotional and there are, I love devotionals. Um, I love old devotionals. Like, I love Charles Spurgeon's devotionals. Um, I love Paul Tripp's new devotionals. I love devotionals. They're come alongside. They're, devotionals are fellowship of believers. They are not the Word of God. If I took a 180-page middle school book and cut it up into sentence groups and mixed them up out of order and included some of them and had you read it, even with my commentary, you would have no idea what that book was about. It's true with scripture too. It's meant to be read in in sweeping, connected swaths in its entirety. Devotionals are good encouragement from fellow believers. They are not a substitute for the word. We as parents, we as Christians need to be Psalm 1 Christians. We need to be blessed as we walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but our delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law we meditate day and night. That's a that's a, a, a murmuring. That word can be murmuring. That word can be ruminating, chewing. His word is in us, bubbling around in us day and night. It comes out in our speech. Not 
Yes. Uh, hiding it in your heart. Psalm 119, a hundred percent. You need to be doing that. It's very good. However, it's hard. And I'm just talking about, we are biblical people at all times. We are speaking and referring to the truths of God as in the life he's given us. Um, it like, Praise God that salvation is supernatural through His Spirit because a lot of us are on Holy Spirit life support with our faith because we're not feasting on the food He's given us. Don't let your Bible reading plan be a burden. Actually, I had to stop doing it online because I was always having to hit the catch me up button and it was depressing. So I just got, I just went paper. Just delight in His Word. You're not, you're not going to get it all, all the time. It's going to be hard. I had to read three times before I actually got through Exodus the first time, you know, or no, Deuteronomy the first time. And then, and then like, you know, by the time I'm reading it again later on, now I'm seeing all of God's grace in the law. Like it, it just, it'll grow you. He'll meet you there. Just be pursuing his whole word as a feast, as a nourishment for who you are, not as a checklist burden, as fuel for your soul. Uh, and, and it's the word that is the way as parents, we should be pursuing the word, showing our children, letting it pour out into their lives. Um, we're going to model for them where hope is found. We're going to model them where endurance and joy and truth is found because they're, because we're going to be doing it. Um, same ways in your prayer life. I don't know a lot of Christians that, that would say their prayer life's great. And then every now and again, you meet one, they're like, tell that one your prayers. Cause whew. That is a praying machine. Uh, and those people are awesome and you should have them in your life. But we, that's not like, it's like the fruit of the spirit. You can't be like, well, I didn't get that fruit. No, they're, you're responsible for all of them. <laughs> Go to God in prayer. They're the, they're, they're what it is to be a Christian. He will grow it up in you. Um, you don't get a check out of, uh, you don't get a check out of gentleness or whatever. Uh, you, you gotta, that, that's, that's what it is. Uh, prayer is for all Christians and it's a gift. I mean, we're talking about coming to the God who says, bring me everything and I keep your tears in a bottle. The God who spoke the galaxies into existence says, I keep your tears in a bottle. Run to him, run to him in prayer. And for me, the best prayer growing thing I've ever encountered is like Matthew Henry's method of prayer. He was, uh, older preacher and he prayed scripture. And I think this is one of the most effective ways, clearly not the only one. I think this is one of the most effective ways to grow your prayer life is to learn to pray scripture. It, it, it moves you beyond the like, God, get me out of this. God, give me this. Thank you for this, which is if that's all you got, pray it, be talking to God, but let's grow, let's grow, let's grow. And just reading through scripture and praying it back to him is amazing for prayer life. And it's amazing to grow family prayer, to just read a couple of lines and like, thank him for what he's done. Ask him for forgiveness for what you've left undone. Ask him your questions, praise him, rejoice in what he's shown you in his word. Ask him to bring it into your life and let the spirit also, you will find wherever else you move and grow for that line after line after line, your prayer life grows and your prayers become richer and more communing and feeling with God than ever before. And all you're doing is praying his word back to him. It's done for you. It's done for you. His spirit is in his word. His spirit is in you. It will grow your prayer life and you will show your children what it's really like to talk to God.
it would benefit your whole family. I, I highly, highly encourage. And it's going to be imperfect and it's going to be a mess. And know what? You get to show your kids, hey, when you're terrible at praying, it's okay. Like you don't have to just be in pot and be like, I guess I'm not a praying guy. I'll stand in the back. No, 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 no. No, we're growing Christians. Everybody starts somewhere. <laughs> That's all there. All you can do is start somewhere. Nobody starts perfect. Nobody gets perfect. So just start. Like we, we're growing people. Christians are growing people. There is reason to believe that in heaven, we will just grow forever because God is infinite and we're not. And so there's always more of him to have. Show your children that's what it's like to be a Christian, to be an imperfect, depending on God, growing Christian. And, and that's all there is. That's all there is. When we do talk, uh, when we do talk about Christ, uh, two things. First, um, like my access, my access, my love is books and movies. And I just sit down and talk to him about my kids. What what themes did we see? What what did you think about that? Like, what, what does God say? That's, that's beautiful. That is biblical truth. What's, what's the rest of the story according to God? Like, these conversations begin good, larger, daily, like, oh, the Bible, the Bible is for all of life. It's not for an hour on Sunday. Like, we're actually thinking about the whole world through this lens, and everybody's putting a lens on something. The sooner we can show that, the, the better it's going to be. But like the way we equip them by letting them into our thought process and hearing them develop their thought process, this is what grows a biblical worldview, is actually saying it out loud and walking through it and discussing it. And then we need to, we need to be bringing Christ to bear. It's not like my kids, like when they want to watch a movie now, they're like, I think it's, I think it's got teamwork and self-sacrifice. And I think it'd be a really positive experience. Cause like, those are like, kind of like, Oh, teamwork and self-sacrifice. Let's watch it. Uh, but, um, but like, let's understand it and let's bring Christ to bear as often as possible. Uh, that is the destination. And when we do that, um, I've received one tip from my seminary professors that like has helped me a ton with that because sometimes it's just, and I air quotes, just the forgiveness of sins. It, that's the crown jewel, but there's also so much more from Christ. And we need to open how, how much of our life and how much of our experience Christ impacts. H.B. Uh, Charles has um, one of my favorites and go watch H.B. Charles's, I think it was a TGC conference sermon on first Corinthians one and two. Uh, it is amazing. And, uh, and one, one part he tells this story, like if you're not getting to Christ crucified, it's not a good place to be. And he talks about this church uh, that had, we preach Christ crucified etched in the bricks and it was left untended. And over time vines grew over, uh, crucified. And it's just, we preach Christ. We preach Christ. And then over more time left untended, it was just, we preach. And that's, that's not the same. We preach doesn't save. We preach Christ crucified. Bring them. And, and you know what? All of this, all of this is hard work. It could not be done without the Spirit. It's, it's going to be done differently by everyone. It's going to be done imperfectly, showing the imperfection and then returning to like either fellow believers or repentance or scriptures for guidance. Like this is all part of our discipleship. This is good. It should be a messy process like that. Um, and we're going to do this imperfectly, but it's worth the work. How many things do we put hard work into our jobs or sports, our hobbies, our fitness, uh, 
Um, we do hard things. When I taught biblical studies in high school, sometimes they'd be like, well, we don't want to make biblical studies too rigorous. I was like, you've never said that about chemistry. You never said that about math. You said challenge them, grow them. You know growth comes from rigorous things. But all of a sudden, our souls aren't worth that? No, no, no. Do the hard work. It's worth it. Tim Keller, like it's hard for preachers to, uh, you know, I don't know how that jujitsu example hits you, but like it's hard for preachers to come up with like analogies sometimes. And, and Keller was talking to preachers and he said, look, it's hard, but I do it because I love my flock and they're worth the work. This is all hard. Praise God. The victory is guaranteed in Christ and the equipping is done through the spirit. It's still hard. What, what little part we play is still very, very hard, but our children are worth it. And so, and God is faithful to meet us where we are and grow us. That's what it is to be a Christian. God is faithful to meet us where we are and grow us. Um, and one phrase I keep that I took from a couple of professors is, is Ildris, I-L-D-R-A-S, Ildris of Christ. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, I need to remember Christ, Christ, God incarnate, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his guaranteed second coming, and everything that comes after that. There's so much of Christ where we have access to his beauty and his goodness. I mean, Emmanuel, God with us, our God is with us. His life, he would put on flesh and suffer humiliation and shame and hunger. And one time it struck me like when I was watching like my third kid still like struggling with growing pains. And I feel like I was recognizing growing pains the most that I had because I'd been night shift for a while and missed a lot of it. And I was like, man, Jesus submitted to growing pains. That's tiny, but that's something. The God of the universe submitted himself in the flesh to growing pains on the road to Calvary. And then, and then there's so much more after that. But how many ways have we failed or just not yet had the opportunity to rejoice in Christ's implication in our lives? And let's hunt those down and shout those with joy. This is heavy, but the first time I was introduced to this, a um, Justin Hol- Holcomb, uh, some people know his writing, he was one of my professors, was talking about a counseling session and a, a victim of abuse kept asking to tell her where her sin was in her abuse. He said, you you don't have any. And she kept telling him, no, I have to have, because I need Jesus to forgive me. Because that was the only way she knew to draw close to Jesus was through forgiveness. And once he got to that, he said, oh, no, there's so many ways to draw close to Jesus. And he started walking her through these. And where she landed was his life. And the abuse at the hands of the guards. And she said, they took his clothes too. He knows. He knows my pain. And she, and and that was the beginning of a long road of healing for her because she connected with Christ in a fuller way. Let us for our own hearts and for the hearts of our children connect with Christ in every possible way. And here we go. Be honest when you don't know. Nobody knows everything. I pride myself. I'm that guy that they made that T-shirt about that's got a a gorilla that says dads are grumpy and they know things. Um, (laughs) That might be me. Um, And uh, and like I'm I'm working on that. But also I do know some stuff. 
But I don't know everything, and I'm pretty happy when I get to something I don't know. Because, you know, what? I'm kind of proud of the stuff I know because I worked hard to know it. Uh, and so, like, I want to tell people, like, this is awesome. Check this out. And then when I get to something I don't know, I love being like, I don't know. Let's figure it out. Walking with your children in discipleship, showing them what it's really like to be a Christian, to not know, to need other Christians, to need to draw close to God and even depend on him when you still don't know and that he's still trustworthy when you still don't know. These are beautiful lessons our children need. And that in mind, part of the fellowship believers is it's why I love Rooted. I am a volunteer. They did not ask me to say this. These Rooted resources are beautiful. You're not alone and you're not crazy when you think parenting uh, a Christian household is hard and Rooted is here to tell you, yes, and we're with you. And we have some resources. It's not every answer, but it's some answers. You don't have to walk this alone. There are places to go to answer the questions you don't know. And you may still run into a roadblock and then it's just okay to trust Jesus. But don't leave yourself in isolation. Be with your church, be with your fellow believers, and your fellow believers extend out into the country, out into the world, and back into history. If they're a believer, they have the Spirit, and they have something to say about Jesus, and and that may be where you need help. And they are there for you because we can't do it all ourselves, so we need others. Just take your children's hands and walk with them. Walk with Christ. And in the end, ultimately, what we're going to need to do, all of I stand behind all of that, and I believe all of that is effectual, um, and we all need to let God be God. Because we'll never contain all the knowledge. We'll never understand the whole story. We just can't. And he's a good God and a trustworthy God. I cannot remember who said it first, but I love this picture of so much of the Christian life is just willfully handing the fruit back to God saying, you're a better God than me. And I just want to follow you and showing our children that and letting God be God. Uh, you want him to be God. It's crushing you if you're trying to be God trying to run everything, know everything, do everything, make everything happen. It's destroying you. Just just let God be God and go back to the fundamentals with joy and peace and trust. Uh, John Hattie is this guy. I'm in, I'm in um, I teach, I've taught about biblical studies. I teach language arts. Like I teach Sunday school. John Hattie is this, the, the guy right now. He's one of the guys right now. A lot of TED Talks, Australian accent. You might enjoy him. But he talks about like um, learning strategies, teaching strategies that are effectual. And like he put numbers on all of them, which is really stressful when you're being evaluated. But, you know, he's got something. Uh, I think he's got something. But he's got these numbers on which teaching strategies produce the most growth. And, and I've, at first I found this a little offensive in teaching. I find this offensive in uh, being a Christian parent. I'm very happy about this. He's like, yeah, um, you know what produces growth and change? Uh, just showing up. He's like, literally, like, teach, if you've got a pulse, your kids will learn something. Like, if you just show up and don't hurt them, they're going to learn something. Look, there's, there's something biblical there. God made growing creatures, and God is miraculously working throughout the world. Like, we grow and develop, and he said... I, I'll say this to you guys. I'm, I'm, I am a parent. I am a child of a parent who actively taught me and actively teaches me to hate the church. I came to Christ in college. Um, and so not only did I have a parent who wasn't, you know, just showing up, 
kind of trying. Like I had a parent who was actively trying to move me the other direction. It didn't work. God's God, and that's a good thing. But but this idea that like you're you're not going to break them. Like show up, care. The only thing that hurts kids in education is if you distance them from education. It's suspension, summer break, uh, or basic needs not met. That's the only thing that's actually negative to their learning. Everything else produces some sort of result. Parents just show up. Now, praise God for the Holy Spirit. And also you are equipped through the word, through prayer, through the fellowship of believers. Like you've got so much more than just showing up. But if you just showed up, it would be, it would be enough. Let them come to you. This world cannot answer the questions our children have. It can provide hollow temporary answers that will run out. There are answers that must be answered and only God answers them with anything that makes sense. They will come with the questions. Pray, be patient, be with them. Look, the Jews demanded signs and the Greeks wanted wisdom. The Jews wanted miraculous things to happen. The Greeks wanted spectacular, logical oratory. No, Christ crucified. And this is the kind of people Jesus uses. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. That's us. Uh, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not. To bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus. Who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Good news. It was never going to be your skills. It was always Jesus. And there's no situation greater than Christ. And it might be a long haul. It, it might be a long haul. You, you might die and your child might be the thief on the cross. And you'll never know it, but they will be with Christ in paradise that day. Um, this is hard, but encouraging from Spurgeon. Many sons have come to faith over the graves of their faithful praying mothers. Okay. God is good. And this is hard. Just be poured out for Christ. Know that he is trustworthy. Follow his narrow path of foundations and let God be God because he is a good God. We should seek to do this to the best of our abilities. But again, and I want to end with a, a story and a verse. If all you've got left in you is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so, that's good theology. That saves. God works with that. There's more, but, but God saves. My example, this is like an extreme example because sometimes it's easier to see the point in extreme example. If you've heard of Billy Graham going over to Cambridge, I love this story. Billy Graham goes over to Cambridge in 55. They think he's a fool hillbilly. They're the smartest people in the world at the time, you know. He goes to speak at the University of Cambridge, small group of Christians attending there. But, but letters to the editor of the London Times start pouring in. I'm sure that Graham is a nice man, but he's a fundamental Christian, the sort that believes that the blood of Jesus is required for salvation. And we all know that sort of thing doesn't go over here. Further, I can't imagine what the fine young men and women of the University of Cambridge can learn from a man like this. And Graham got scared. And he tried to do it in his own power. And they say he spent, he created eight of the most scholarly, high-minded lessons he could. Now, look, 
I worship at scholarly, high-minded lessons. I love my seminary professors. It's like a worship concert to me. It's just not necessary. It's great, but it isn't essential. So Graham just goes and he just tries to make it like what they want. He, it's the good, even Billy Graham was not immune to the good idea fairy. He's like, I'll change up everything I've been doing in the kingdom, all the giftings God gave me, and I'll just do something that they want. And uh, they were totally different than anything he gave. He had one lesson for every night. About 8,000 students at Cambridge, 2,000 students and faculty are showing up. Monday and Tuesday, nothing happens, which had never happened to Graham before. He, he's giving these scholarly lectures and nobody cares. Nothing. Um, so Wednesday night, Graham just puts it to the side. And he says, let me tell you know, what I know about the cross of Jesus. And this is from Dick Lucas, who was there that night. This is his account that was there that, that night. I'll never forget that night. I was in the totally packed chancel sitting on the floor with Regis Professor of Divinity sitting on one leg and the chaplain of a college who was a future bishop on the other. Both of these were very good men, but completely against the idea that you needed salvation from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. So dear Billy got up that night and he began at Genesis and he went right through the whole Bible and he talked about every single sacrifice you can imagine. The blood was just flowing all over the place everywhere for three quarters of an hour. And both of my neighbors were terribly embarrassed by this crude proclamation of the blood of Christ. It was everything they disliked and everything they dreaded. And at the end of the sermon, Billy Graham dismissed the audience and invited anyone who wanted to stay behind and make a commitment to Christ. And 400 people stayed. It's not always going to happen like that, but that is a beautiful picture of just walk with Jesus and proclaim his truth to the best of your abilities. And God is faithful. And so I'll end with this this portion from Ezekiel. So I'm a product of a home that went somewhere, like half went to indifference and the other half went to like intensely against Christianity. And I'm a Christian. And here in Ezekiel is a condemnation from God through the prophet Ezekiel to the shepherds of God's people who have not been doing what God's people are called to do. This is not just their parents, but this is to their actual spiritual leaders. This is the world they're living in. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. And here... Here, here also is the heart of a, of a shepherd and a disciple. This is, they don't have this heart, but we are called to this heart. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. That's the condition of God's people. Their spiritual leaders abused them and abandoned them. What are we called? Let's take a moment. What are we, let's be people who strengthen the weak when our children are weak. Who heal the sick when they're not healed who bind up the injured, who bring back the strays, who seek the lost with a heart of love and gentleness.
And that is not what happened in Israel. And they were all scattered. What hope could there be if the people of God's leaders have failed so miserably in their discipling that the sheep have been scattered? Well, the hope was never in the under shepherds. The hope was in the shepherds, the true shepherd. And that is how Ezekiel ends. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God is our hope. God is good. God saves. I hope that the 23rd Psalm would mean more to you hearing that. It is the good shepherd who brings his sheep to the good pastures and the still waters. And then John 10, I lay down my life for my sheep. It is God who saves. He is good. We are so equipped as parents with the fundamentals to disciple our children, but we're not their savior. And God is and we can rest and hope in that through all circumstances. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that you are a shepherd. Thank you that you save. And thank you that you have been a perfect father to us. And that you have equipped us with all that we need in this life. To walk with our children, to shepherd our children, and to endure all of the heartbreaks, all of the sorrows. You are moving us. You are moving us to a day where you will wipe away every tear. And that is what we trust in, and that is what we will operate out of. Lord, make us humble, loving people of you and your ways, and let our children see that light, and let our children run to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. If you love the conversations we're having here on this podcast, we hope you'll join us in person this November at the Rooted 2023 conference in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a full three days of a family-like setting where you'll worship, fellowship, and be equipped and encouraged for another year of ministry. We'll have main session speakers including Daniel Yang, Trillian Newbell, and Kelly Capick, 20 fantastic workshops from pastors, theologians, counselors like Mike McGarry and Sissy Goff, and music led by Sandra McCracken, the Lipscomb University Gospel Choir, and more. Join us today at rootedministry.com conference or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to sign up before September 15th before prices increase. Again, that's rootedministry.com conference.